We're going to finish this up today. We're going to finish up the last eight different areas of ministry. Um, but it's important to understand what we just read, that unless you have a foundation built on the Word of God for your life, for your life, for your home, for our church, then these kind of things will not, will not bring glory to God. They just won't. As we go through here, you're going to see that we're going to understand that it's good to do good things, but unless you do good things in the name of Jesus Christ and motivated to serve him and motivated to bring glory to his name, just like we just sang about, then it's all just human effort and it has nothing to do with the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Just because it's commendable does not mean that it's kingdom. Remember that. Just because it's commendable does not mean that it's kingdom. I believe one of the ways that the influence of the church has been taken out of society is that we have allowed society to take over everything that the church used to do. We have allowed society to uh, take over what areas that used to be ministry in the church, and the church has kind of stepped away. And we're more concerned with having political power than we are with meeting people's needs. We are not called to be in power politically. We're called to meet the needs of people. We're called to reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ and draw them into him so much so that as we lift him up, he draws them unto himself and they accept him as their savior. Now, it's my desire, as I said, to lead this church into greatness in ministry, not in great numbers, not in great name recognition throughout the nation, but in greatness in ministry in our community because there are so many people in need. Last night was an amazing night. Last night truly was phenomenal. It was great to just, it was great to see people come in and it was great to see people let their guards down and just be able to sit and talk with people of all situations in life. People who are, who are having a, a tough time of it right now and just to bring a little bit of joy into their lives and to see them as human beings. And uh, it was a great night. Those are the kind of things that we as Christians are called to do, to bring the light of Jesus Christ to dark places, to dark lives. And as we go through this listing of, of, uh, of gifts, we're going to see exactly how that plays itself out. My desire in this message is that you will know where you fit in best, not just where you fit in. Know where you fit in best, because that is where you will be your most effective. Now, I'll review this again real quick. Spiritual gifts are abilities that God gives us so that we may be able to serve effectively in a local church setting. Passion is what God blessed you with to serve with joy and what makes you invest more and more even though the odds seem stacked against you and people reject what you have to offer. Gifts are also what God gives us and gives you to grow your faith and your abilities. They are what puts iron in our spiritual bones and connects us to the rest of the body of the church. Our gifts are the connective tissue that brings it all and keeps it all together. Now, last week we started, and the first one we mentioned uh, was the gift of administration, if you remember. The gift of administration. And that is uh, the divine strength and ability to organize multiple tasks and groups of people to accomplish these tasks. Remember what I said it wasn't. It wasn't 
the gift of telling people what to do. That's not the gift of administration, right? I made this statement that dreamers dream dreams, administrators make the dream come true. Dreamers dream dreams, but administrators make the dream come true. Fit-ins for administrators are event plannings, bridge event teams, communication team, financial and budget team. Any place where order and structure is needed, that's where administrators fit in. The second one we looked at was the hospitality, uh, the gift of hospitality. It's the gift of the divine strength or ability to create warm, welcoming environments for others in places such as home, office, or church. It's not the ability to create a social club, right? And the ministry fit-ins there were obviously a hospitality team, a welcome team, an outreach team, or the social media team, social media team especially. Then we looked at a third one, which I thought was really cool. As I did this study, I came across craftsmanship and creativity. Craftsmanship and creativity. I think those are some of the overlooked gifts that we see, that we, that we have in the church, but the people don't necessarily see and don't necessarily recognize. Yet craftsmen built the tabernacle. People who have the ability to do amazing things with a hammer and nails and, and a saw and, and wood and sheetrock and whatever. I was talking with Jeremy a little bit this morning, and, and he's got some exciting ideas about beautifying our building and changes that we're talking about making. And God just opened doors for him to get things with a tax letter that are going to beautify our church and going to make our church much more efficient. Those are craftsmen, people like that. If you have the ability to build stuff, to, to see things and see change, that would be good change. Perhaps God has blessed you with the gift of craftsmanship or creativity. And those ministry fit-ins are uh, the construction team, maintenance and repair, decorating, and the cleaning team. That brings us to the fourth one, a new one this today. The ministry or the, the spiritual gift of faith and intercession. Faith and intercession. Now, these two go together because extreme faith is always accompanied by powerful prayer. Extreme faith is always accompanied by powerful prayer. That's why we connected faith and intercession. The gift of faith is, is the divine strength or ability to believe, to God, believe in God for unseen supernatural results in every area of life through prayer. To understand that sacrifice for God through faith produces amazing results for the kingdom. The gift of intercession is the divine strength or ability to stand in the gap in prayer for someone, something, or some place, believing for profound results. Now, we're all called to have faith. The Bible says in order to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it takes faith. What we serve and what we live for, that last song, once again, we were singing about heaven. We're singing about our eternal home. We're singing about what is waiting for us on the other side of this life. And it takes faith to believe that. And every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ has a level of faith. But what we're talking about here are people who are gifted with a deep abiding faith that believes, believes completely and totally that God is the answer that God has the answer and that he has a way and that he has a plan. And they don't question what God says. They don't question the word of God. They can take it in and believe it. And because they have the extreme ability to just take God at his word, they can now move forward in life expecting God to bless, 
expecting God to move, expecting God to do things. Words like hope and maybe and possibly aren't necessarily in the vocabulary because they know that God is going to come through. They know that God is going to do it. And they pray that way. They pray that God's will will be done and that God's power will be displayed. Faithful intercessors are people who truly believe that God's plan is the answer for the world and for individuals and that nothing is too hard for God. In the church, we need people of extreme faith. We need people that are gifted with the gift of faith. Why? Because not everybody else is. And when people stand around and say, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if this is. And they come up with all kinds of excuses and they come up with all kinds of roadblocks to put in front of ministry. We need people of extreme faith that say, listen, God has promised that he will do this. God has promised that he will take care. God has promised that he will not forsake his children. And God has promised that if we give our, if we place our trust in him, then he will provide for us. Well, well, we're not, we're not getting this and we're not getting that. And we don't have what that other church has. We don't, that doesn't matter. Is God meeting our needs and is God blessing our ministry and is God moving us forward for his kingdom? That's what we should be concerned about. And people with extreme faith believe that. They know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is going to handle the matter in their lives. My life is a train wreck. Yeah, but God has a plan. When people don't believe in themselves, faithful intercessors come along and sit down and pray and say, God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. He's going to do something great with you if you'll just trust in him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh, you know, I, I, I just don't believe that. That's your problem. That's what the Bible says. Okay? That's what the Bible says. The fact that you don't believe it is the problem. That's where faithful intercessors come along and are able to sit down beside people who don't have that level of faith and say, listen, this is what God says. I am going to pray for you and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to come alongside you and we're going to walk through this problem together. And we're going to get through this. As a church, we're going to come together and we're going to pray and we're going to get through this matter together as a church because God is promised and God is faithful and we can believe and take him at his word. Some scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Now the Bible tells us in other places that we are given faith and it takes faith to be a follower of Christ. But a spiritual gift here in 1 Corinthians is, it lists the gift of faith. So it's an extreme faith. It's a faith beyond the average every day. Hebrews 11, verse uh, 1, and then we're going to jump down to verses 36 and 39. It should be up on the screen. Speaking about people, the, Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith. It's people who followed God throughout their lives and expressed and lived by extreme faith and experienced amazing persecution and struggles, but were, were, were believers in God and showed incredible faith in God and got through it. And because of their willingness to stand in faith, we have examples of how to live. 
Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. They didn't, what that last part means is they didn't have, they didn't understand the hope of Jesus Christ because they lived before Jesus Christ died. Yet they, they went through amazing persecution and struggle all because God had promised that he would take care of them. God had promised that he was going to be faithful in their lives. Listen, we, we need people in our church who have extreme faith and will say, you know what? God is going to take care of this. God is going to provide. And then pray that way because extreme faith and intercession always go together. Colossians 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I test about, testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. When was the last time you could honestly say you worked in prayer? You worked hard and you wrestled in prayer for an issue, for a problem, for a person, for an answer from God. You see, faithful intercessors are people who will do that. And then they'll share it with the rest of us because that's how we learn and grow. What are some ministry opportunities for people who are blessed with the spiritual gift of faith and intercession? Counseling, discipleship, the prayer team, an intercessor. That is a go-to prayer person. When you are struggling and you know you need help, man, some of you who have walked with God for years, you know you've got somebody you can go to and say, hey, listen, I need help. I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray for me. Listen, if God has blessed you, if you, if you sit and say, I don't understand why people don't believe, because then, then maybe, maybe God has blessed you with that gift of faith, that spiritual gift of faith, and maybe you need to start cultivating that and digging deeper in prayer. The next gift is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. What is it? The gift of discernment is the divine strength or ability to spiritually identify falsehood to distinguish between right and wrong motives and the spiritual forces at work in situations. Usually discernment, a good leader has been, has been given the gift of discernment because it's very difficult. You have no idea how many emails and phone calls I get throughout the week from people who want to come in here, from people who want to do different things through our church. They want, to, they want us to get on board with different opportunities, as they call them. And they want us to make an investment here or do this and that and the other thing. Man, if I was going to, if I was going to jump on board with everybody that came through like that, it'd be crazy. We'd have so many, uh, there, there'd be so many different things that we'd be involved in and not all of them good. And it's important that uh, you in your life have some discernment, but it's important in a church 
that there will be, there'll be people that have the gift of discernment and use that gift of discernment. People who can look at a situation and say, you know, I'm comparing that with the Bible, with what the Word of God says, and that just doesn't seem to match up. I need to investigate it further. Or, wow, man, that's not even close. That's not even Bible. What's going on there? I have people who, who, uh, who want us to get involved in quote-unquote missions work, yet there's no clue, there, there's no hint of the Bible involved in it at all. Well, that's not missions work. That's humanitarian effort. Humanitarian effort is commendable, but what did I say at the beginning? If it's not, it may be commendable, but it's not kingdom. So I would choose to, to connect with a group that does humanitarian work for the gospel and to build the kingdom of God. They exist out there. And that requires discernment. The difficulty in discernment is that we want to see things our way through our eyes and with our motives and outcomes rather than God's way. I would caution you on this. Something that has come up over the last several years, last years of, of church work is people that come to others and say, I've received a word of God for you. Listen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or break, bust anybody's bubble. But God will speak to you, okay? If God has a path for your life, he's going to lay it out for you. What that person is trying to do is control where you go and what you do in life. I'm just, I'm just laying it out honestly. Now, there might be someone that said, hey, man, God has laid you on my heart. Is there something I can pray for you about? You may be struggling with a matter, and someone might give you counsel or advice. But I, <laughs> I would be hard-pressed, and you would be hard-pressed, to find scriptural support to say that God is going to tell so-and-so that this is what you're supposed to do. That includes me. God doesn't tell me to tell you what to do. The problem with discernment is that we, we, if, if, you can tend to see it through your own eyes. And true spiritual, godly, spiritually gifted discernment is the ability to see right and wrong. The ability to see God's way as opposed to Satan's way. I wish more people in the church exercised discernment. And I'm talking about the, the, the universal church now. Because we get a bad name because other people don't exercise discernment in their lives. So discernment is vital in a church. Discernment is vital in your life. And discernment is vital in a church. Matthew chapter 16 is a great example of the human view of discernment. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and to be raised on the third day. Okay, here's the situation. Jesus is preparing his followers, his disciples, his 12, the chosen 12. He's preparing them for the day that he is going to be arrested, tried, and crucified. He's saying this is going to happen. You need to get yourself ready for this. Now, let me, let me just go back to the beginning and say this again. 
Jesus is the one saying this. The creator, the savior of the world, the one who came down to die, the one who these guys saw heal people, raise people from the dead, do amazing things, teach things, and, and do things that they never had seen before. Men had placed their, these men had placed their trust in him and had given up and walked away from their lives to follow him. So he says, all of this is going to happen and you need to begin to prepare yourself. What does Peter say? Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Shut up, Peter, or we're all going to go to hell. Right? Peter, what are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Jesus' purpose in life was to come down. He was born to die. He was born to die for our sins, and now you're saying this is not going to happen? Peter, you're not exercising discernment here. You're not exercising discernment. The Bible says Jesus himself said, you're going to experience difficulties in life. You're going to go through struggles in life. People are going to attack you. Listen, we need less people being offended by what everybody else says and more people saying, Jesus promised me that if I follow him, I'm going to be attacked for my beliefs. So what I need to do is stand up for what I believe and stop caving in to what other people say. Oh, that's tough, that's difficult, that's hard, that hurts, it puts me on the spot. I know it does. But we've got to learn that through discernment, we understand what God's plan truly is. Some people are blessed with a deeper sense of discernment, an ability to see things that others don't, and an ability to play things out until the end and say, if this is true at the beginning, this is what's going to happen in the end. So maybe we just shouldn't get to that point. 1 John 4 Verses 1 through 6 say, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. You know what John is saying there? He's saying there are going to be those who come to you who are false. There are going to be spirits that come to you that are false, that are going to lead you the wrong way, that are going to direct you into a wrong direction, that are going to take you off the path. Don't believe every spirit. Now, he says, when he says don't believe every spirit, that means that there are some spirits that you can believe and you should believe. So what do you do? You try those spirits. How do you try them? You try them to see whether or not they are of God. How do we know they're of God? Do they line up with the word of God? Do they line up with what the Bible has to say? Or are they giving a new revelation? Be careful when people say it's a, a, a continuing revelation of the word. That's why we reject Mormonism, to be quite honest with you. Mormonism, the, the book of Mormon, is another testament of Jesus. There's not another testament of Jesus Christ. There's one. There's one. Well, that's kind of harsh for you to say. No, that's called discernment. Because if you study out the beliefs of these other religions, there's one way to heaven, folks. See, this is why... People need discernment. There's one way to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. Not exercising discernment causes us to get into trouble when it comes to following the word of God. Well, that's pretty arrogant. Okay, if that's the way you want to see it. You know what I, you know I want to see? I want to see my life going in the right direction. 
I want to see myself making right decisions. You know what I want to see? I want to see people being given the opportunity to choose or reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you think my discernment of other faiths being wrong is arrogance, then I guess in your eyes it's arrogance. But in my eyes, it's testing the spirits with the scriptures. You see, that's why we need people in the church that will exercise discernment. Because quite honestly, there are people that come and want to do things in our church that are not scriptural and want us to be involved in things that are not scriptural because they believe different ways. This is the importance of the gift of discernment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, But test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. How do you know that? I, Pastor John, I don't know that I, I, I'm young in my faith. I've never learned this stuff. How do I know? You find people that have discernment. You find, listen, find a Christian who is making good decisions, okay? Find a Christian who is making good decisions. Young parents, you want to know how to raise children? Find parents who raised good kids. Find parents whose kids are not like, you know, causing mayhem in the community. Or just sit down and ask a parent, hey, what are the big mistakes you've made? And we'll give you a list. Right? <laughs> Seriously, man. We went, up, we, we, we went up to the Great Wolf Lodge uh, for a few days. Parents of the year because we took our boys out of school for two days. Yes, I'm that dad. I think it's cool. All right? The first day, there were 59 people in the entire resort. 59. It was amazing, man. You could do whatever you wanted. Friday, there were more than 59. It was insane. It was insane. And it was all, I had to look, I literally had to look down and watch where I was walking because there were little people everywhere. And they all had wands because the, the Great Wolf Lodge has this magic quest everywhere. And they're going and they're pointing the wand here and they're pointing the wand there. And this stuff is going and their voices talking to you from the ceiling. And you've already done this quest. Congratulations, you 250 coins. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? It was crazy. It was crazy. And my advice to you would be. Don't go to Great Wolf Lodge on a Friday or a Saturday, man. Because <laughs> it's insanity. It's absolute. The kids loved it, but I was not, I'm not a kid. And it was, it, it was my birthday celebration, right? And they have this screen, and they put your name on it. And I stood there, and I had, I had to watch to see if my name came up just because. And I, I realized I'm standing here looking at this, and there's like 200 kids, and none of them are 57. <laughs> right? Like, wow, wow. And I found myself asking this little, hey, is it your birthday today? And they're looking at me like, my parents warned me about somebody like you. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, kid, you know? Wow. You, when you, you want to, if, if you don't understand, you find somebody who has that knowledge, who has that understanding. That's the same way in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you don't know whether you're making a good decision, find someone who has been gifted with the spiritual gift of discernment, who has, the, who has the patience and has the wisdom to sit down and look at something from all angles and say, 
you know what? I see value here, but it's not the best. It's not really God's word. And if we put it to the scriptural test, it just doesn't stand up to the test of scripture. That's what John tells us in 1 John. Now, ministry fit-ins for discernment, biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is something that is so necessary and so needed in the church today in several different areas. In talking with, with, uh, talking with uh, an individual last night, with health. Listen, there are, there are terrible choices. I'm, a, I'm an extreme example of bad choices for food, okay? And a lot of us are. Sitting down and, and getting, getting, talking to someone who can get you centered on making good lifestyle choices according to the Word of God. Did you know that those exist? Do you know the Bible talks about how to eat well? The Bible talks about how to keep yourself physically fit, the importance of it. The Bible also talks about the importance of studying. So talk to somebody. Biblical counseling is a great area of ministry for someone with discernment. A biblical advisor. A go-to person. When you have a question about the Word of God, who do you go to? Google or that godly person in your church that you know studies the Word? Teaching team. And planning team. Why a planning team? Why do we need people with discernment on our planning team? Because just because it's commendable does not mean it's kingdom. The sixth one is evangelism. What is it? The, the spiritual gift of evangelism is the divine strength or ability to share your faith in almost any situation and to help unbelievers take the necessary steps to become a born-again Christian. <clears throat> Evangelists who are people who honestly, deep in their soul, believe that absolutely no one is beyond the love of God. And you say, well, of course that's true. You know, everybody. Jesus died for everybody. You have no idea how many Christians say to me, I can't believe that you think, um, oh, who's that Ah, uh, he, was, he was put to death in Florida. He was a serial. Ted Bundy. Is it Ted Bundy? Yeah. He's not the guy from the TV show, right? Ted Bundy. You have no idea how many people say, no way. There's no way I can believe that Ted Bundy is in heaven. But let me tell you, you can, you can Google this. <laughs> Google the, uh, the interview that... Um, the child, the Christian child psychologist, Dr. James Dobson, had with Ted Bundy. He went and visited him in prison when he had been sentenced to death. And he led Ted Bundy to Jesus Christ. And Ted Bundy gives his testimony. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's chilling, it's difficult to listen to. And I'm not sure how much of that is the fact that this man did what he did. I think he was convicted of murdering over 60 young women and girls. He was suspected in over 100, and he um, gave information for they don't know how many. There are parents who will never be able to go and visit a gravesite of their child because of Ted Bundy, and, and it's, not, it, it's because he forgot <laughs> where he buried these people. Yet in prison, Ted Bundy was confronted with Jesus Christ, and he accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, according to Dr. James Dobson, 
who is a man that we would say uh, knows the word of God and loves Jesus Christ. And so many Christians look at me and say, I just can't believe that. I can't accept that. And that's, how, that's, that's the struggle I have. And listen, if, you, if, if that's the struggle you have, then you really need to read the word of God and really need to ask God to change your heart because the Bible says that the grace of God is for everyone. And remember, when you read the word of God, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by a man who had Christians put to death, children, men, and women. See, true evangelists, evangelists, people who have been given the gift of evangelism, understand that the grace of God extends to everybody. Therefore, there is nobody that they will not strike up a conversation with with the intent of reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.11, and he, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists. And then it says some pastors and teachers. So the gift of being an evangelist is different than the gift of being a pastor and a teacher. Acts 8, verses 26 through 31, an example of an evangelist. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Well, Philip ran up. He had, now notice the, the wording here. Philip had to run up to the chariot. He had to catch the chariot, okay? He ran up to the chariot. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit and created that situation. Through a conversation, I won't ask you to raise your hands to incriminate yourself, but how many of you eavesdrop on other people in a restaurant or in the grocery store? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm the king of it, man. I'll jump in a conversation all the time. An evangelist, someone who has been gifted with the gift of evangelism, can take someone's conversation or somebody's comment and turn it into an opportunity to share the gospel with them. I, uh, you want to see a modern-day walking, talking, living, breathing example of the gift of evangelism, then spend some time with my wife, Erin. Erin can, she literally, I could make up a sermon on evangelism with taglines about her situations of being able to talk with people, turning, picking out avocados into an opportunity to share her faith, <laughs> buying an iced coffee into an opportunity to share her faith, talking about a tattoo into an opportunity to share her faith, and over, getting a ticket, me getting the ticket, into an opportunity <laughs> to share her faith, buying ice cream into an opportunity to share her faith over and over and over again. Can I share with you something? I love Jesus Christ and I love people and I want everyone to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but that's not a gift that I have. I take opportunities, I pray for them. There is something unique about an evangelist because people look at me when I say something like that and they want, maybe it's because of my look, maybe I don't know, but they're like, get out of my face. Aaron successfully can talk to people 
and get them to open up about the situation and open up about their faith. Ministry fit-ins for evangelism is discipleship, teaching, the outreach team, biblical counseling, and our bridge events team. Why? Because our bridge events are what open us up to our community and cause us to reach other people through in, in our community. That's what our bridge events are about. The next one is the gift of exhortation and it's encouragement in good and bad times. The gift of exhortation is the divine strength or ability to strengthen, comfort, or urge others to action through written or spoken word and biblical truth. Exhorters have the sometimes frustrating to others ability to see the positive possibilities in every situation. You would be a glass half full people. Actually, you'd be a glass empty person because even if the glass is empty, you see the positive side of it, right? If the glass is empty and I could fill it all up again. If the glass is half full, an exhorter, an encourager says, if, if the glass is half full, I can fill it back up. You know, I can, I can get it all the way to top. At least I have something to drink. An exhorter looks, an encourager looks at the glass that's empty and says, I can fill it all up again. And if the glass is full, they say, hey, I got a full glass. Encouragers, people who can see the good in every situation. <clears throat> Acts 14, 21 and 22 after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The gift of exhortation. Maybe you're that person who people say, how, you know, you don't need coffee in the morning to get yourself up for the day, right? You're just encouraged. And even when life is falling apart, you see the good in it. We need you in church. We need you. I don't think it's a mistake that God inspired the writer of Hebrews to say, go to church and be encouraged. Go to church and be encouraged. And if you're an exhorter, if you're an encourager, make sure you're in church. Listen, you ever wonder why everything comes up to keep you out of church? Because if you're not in church, you cannot exercise your spiritual gifts in church. And if you're an encourager and Satan is fighting and fighting and fighting to keep you out of church that day, guess what? You need to be in church because somebody needs to be encouraged. See, these spiritual gifts are not just little trinkets and party favors that we pull out and, and impress people with as we sit around and drink coffee. They're abilities and gifts and talents that God has given each and every one of us to put into practice in the local church so that this local church will, go str will grow strong. Right about now, we could use some encouragers in our church. We could use some people who would say, hey, listen, man, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out just fine. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And yes, you might be struggling right now, but God is going to make a way. Boy, last night, I saw some people in need of encouragement. And I saw it on both sides. I saw people who the dinner was prepared for, and I saw people who prepared the dinner. 
And I saw people on both sides who really needed encouragement. And I'll tell you what, I don't think a person walked away last night without feeling encouraged, without feeling the love of Jesus Christ. I, I was so amazed to see some of our children walk up and sit down at tables with people and talk, man. It was cool. Now, let's be honest. It was a dinner put on for people that are staying in, a sh staying in shelters right now. And a lot of people would not allow their children to go and sit at a table. But I saw parents who allowed their children to go and, and just talk. Because sometimes kids, even in their silly conversation, can be so encouraging. And just sitting down talking with a child or, or listening to kids play and have fun or even watching a kid eat, my gosh. There's one guy who got on the bus and he said, is there going to be cheesecake there? And Erin had picked up a cheesecake for the, the uh, potluck today. And she said, yeah, there is. So she went and grabbed the cheesecake and brought it in. And it was cheesecake. And that man was encouraged. And he took two slices. <laughs> man, if a piece of cheesecake is going to encourage you, I know what cheesecake does for me. <laughs> right? Right? But if cheesecake is going to encourage you, then let's have some cheesecake. See, that's what encouragers do. They encourage other people. Where can we use encouragers? What are the ministry fit-ins? Oh, man, come on. The welcome team, right? That person that doesn't know a stranger? The welcome team. You go up and you see somebody who you've never seen before. I, listen, I am the, I'm the king in new life of walking into somebody and say, hey, man, it's good to meet you. And they say, well, I was here last week. Like, <laughs> well, of course you were. And so was I. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. I'd rather go up and have that uncomfortable conversation than not. Right? We need, the, we need those people on the welcome team, on the outreach team, on the bridge events team, teaching, on our communications team, people who don't have a problem encouraging others. The next one, we're going to hurry through these last four. The next one is the gift of giving. What is it? The gift of giving is the divine strength or ability to produce wealth and to give by tithes and offerings for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God on earth. Now listen, this is going to be up on the screen and just look at it. Don't, don't judge me for it. Don't get an attitude about it. If it strikes you in your heart, pray about it, will you? We don't talk about money much here. We really, truly don't. I never pressure anybody for money. I will not do that. It's one of the biggest reasons that people don't go to church is because everybody wants my money. I don't do that. So when you hear somebody say that that happens here, I'm telling you from the pulpit, they're lying. Because we don't do that. Okay? We don't do that. But the Bible has told me to preach the whole counsel of God. So let me give you an understanding of what givers, the spiritual gift of giving is. Givers give because there is a need and they can help. They understand that their financial blessings are from God and are actually a responsibility to make sure that money is not a roadblock for ministry. That's someone who, is, someone who has been given the gift of giving understands that if it's just money that's keeping us from doing it, 
Well, let's take care of that problem. I get grief, and I'm, I'm just going to put it out there, okay? I get grief from other pastors because, and, and some of you, I, 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 I mean this, this is coming from my heart, please, it's not judgmental, because some of you fall into this category. I get grief from other pastors because I marry people that live together. I perform marriages for people that live together. And I've sat down, and I've honestly, I've sat down and I've talked with pastors, and they're like, how could you do that? They're living in sin. I said, listen, man, you're telling them that they need to move apart from each other and live apart for a year before you'll marry them, right? Now that adds on an entirely new financial obligation. They now have to have a second more, all this kind of stuff. I said, let's break it down. And I, I promise you, I've had these conversations with pastors. Let's break it down to what your real problem is. Your real problem is these people are having sex outside of marriage. I know that's uncomfortable to hear in the church, but that's exactly what the problem is, right? And they'll look at me and they're like, oh, okay, I said, then let's take care of the problem. Right? Then let's take care of the problem. If your issue with these people is that they're having sex before marriage, then marry them. It's not that difficult. <laughs> right? Go back, go back to the whole, the, whole, the whole thing about discernment. I'm sorry. I, I just, it's fine. You know? I've had people say, oh, you know, the surgery you're going to have, they cut out 75% of your stomach. That's drastic. I like food too much, folks. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. I had my psychology. I had a, my, my visit with a psychiatrist, right? That's always intimidating for her this time. It was supposed to be two hours long. Mine lasted 45 minutes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Seriously, man. said, so what's up? I said, listen, here's the problem. I like food too much. I'm not covering for anything. I'm not, I'm not overindulging to hide some pain. I like the way food tastes. It's very, very good. <laughs> And that's my problem. <laughs> Oreos, Oreos can be an appetizer, a main dish, and dessert. That's right. I'm a fat guy, and I need to be skinny. And it ain't going to happen. I'm 57. Did you catch that part? I'm 57. I've lived this way a long time. I'm old. And I just want to change the matter. Listen, <laughs> listen, man. If cutting my style, and I'm serious. Now, that, now that's, all, that's, all, that's all true, but that was play, brought out in a funny way. This is true. If cutting my stomach out is going to help me solve the problem, then sign me up. Because I don't want to deal with it. Oh, you need to have more faith. No, I need to have less stomach. <laughs> okay? I'm just serious. I'm just being honest. Bring it back to this matter. Listen, if you're afraid that these people are going to have sex, then get them married. And then it's okay. Then you, can, then, you can, then you can give them the books to read, and you can say all the wonderful things about how blessed the bed is in, in, a, in a godly marriage, blah, 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 blah. You can have them read the book of Song of Solomon, and everything's wonderful. Right? 
Stop being, stop, stop, stop trying to put roadblocks in people's way. It's the same thing with the gift of giving. If money is the problem and you have been blessed with God, by God, with finances, then do what God is telling you to do and not let money be a roadblock for ministry. Okay? Boy, we took a long way to get to that point, didn't we? <laughs> you can read Matthew 12, 41 through 44. Ministry fit-ins for the gift of giving? No, no doubt, man. Ministry fit-ins? Anywhere. Anywhere. A giver? Boy, we'll use you anywhere. And that's not just your money. That's also your time, your talents. You, you just want to, you're just a giver. You may, not be, you may not be gifted with the gift of craftsmanship, but sure can carry wood, giving your time. Next one is the gift of mercy. What is it? The gift of mercy is the divine strength or ability to feel empathy and to care for those who are hurting in any way and to help them truly heal. Those with the gift of mercy don't shy away from the ugly or difficult situations. They know that they are needed and are not hindered because the situation is difficult. Mercy goes beyond simply caring about people and caring for people. Mercy wants to solve the problem. People that are gifted with the gift of mercy want to get to the heart of the matter because I believe that the people with the gift of mercy also have been given, given the gift of healing and not faith healing where you lay hands on, healing through talking people through a matter helping people deal with the mess, sometimes just being that shoulder to cry on or to lean on so that they can catch their breath in life. Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And what did Jesus do after that? He went out and continued to minister to people. I saw people bone tired last night. I saw people so tired and they stayed here and just continued to minister. We had people deliver food to shelters last night that we had that was extra. And there's going to be food that was left over from last night here at our potluck, but there was too much. So... Two turkeys were delivered to one. Other food was delivered to other places. People who exhausted and tired at the end of the day still continued because they saw a need, the gift of mercy. Where do people with the gift of mercy fit in? Hospitality team, outreach team, prayer team, welcome team, visitation team, children's ministry, nursery. Man, the gift of mercy. Number 10 is the gift of helping and service. What is it? It's the gift of helps. The gift of helps is the divine strength or ability to work in a supportive role for the accomplishment of tasks in Christian ministry with the ability to often see the need before others do. The gift of service is the divine strength or ability to do small or great tasks in working for the overall good of the body of Christ. Helpers and serve, helpers and servers help and serve, period. They help and serve because they know it's needed because they know it's required, because they know that the job cannot get done without them. How, the people with the gift of helping and serving are the most humble people you will ever want to meet in a church because they're not looking for recognition. They're not looking to be put up on a pedestal. They just want to see things happen. And they will do it in the shadows if they have to 
as long as the job gets done. They, they truly checked their, they didn't check their ego at the door, they checked their ego at home. And they just help and serve. Boy, does a church need people with the gift of helping and the gift of serving. You can read these verses, Romans 12, 6 and 7, Matthew 13, 40 and 41, and Acts 9, 36. Um, where are ministry fit-ins for a person with the gift of helping and serving? The hospitality team, the cleaning team, the bridge events team, the welcome team, the maintenance and repair team, student ministries, people with helps. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had people who couldn't stand teenagers who would just show up just to help out because they wanted to be around ministry. They didn't want to deal with the teenagers, but they would set up and tear down. They'd cook. They'd do whatever. They'd serve these kids. They didn't want to counsel with them, but, man, they just wanted to help. Man, that's the gift of helps. The last one is a gift of leadership, and I left that last for a very specific reason because not everybody has the gift of leadership and not everybody needs to be in leadership. Leadership is a, is a, is a gift that is given to the ones who lead. It's not a gift that you uh, commandeer on your own. It's not a gift you fight over. It's a gift that is given to those who lead. And I left it last because, not because it's the most important, but because it's the least important. Those are the words of Jesus. Who, who would be first will be last. The one who will be greatest among you will be your servant. Listen, <clears throat> I'm not going to take all the time to go through all what leadership is. True leaders for the kingdom of God lead not for their own gain, but for the kingdom of God. But true leadership, someone who is gifted with the true gift of leadership, the true spiritual gift of leadership, understands it's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about anything other people put a price on or put importance on. It's about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. You have no idea how many times I pray and say, God, if I'm the hindrance here at New Life, if I'm hindering this church from growing, if I'm hindering this church from accomplishing certain things, if I'm done with my area of leadership in this church, then take me away. Then tell me it's time and let me step aside gracefully and allow someone else to step in. I believe that's the gift of, of true spiritual leadership, realizing that all you are there to do is facilitate a ministry and to open up opportunities for other people to serve. It's not about having your name on the sign. It's not about being the one that people listen to on the radio. It's about being the one who helps other people reach their potential for Jesus Christ. Can I be honest with you as I close this out? Last night, I was just kind of sad. I just kind of sat around last night. I didn't serve a plate. I didn't pick up the trash. I didn't bring anybody a drink to their table. I sat and I watched over 30 people from my church serve others. It was awesome. It was awesome. They didn't do it for me. They didn't do it to get an attaboy on Sunday morning. They did it for the kingdom of God. And I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you did. And more than one time, I got the response back. You should be proud of your church, Pastor John. You've led us well. 
I don't say that for me. I say that because that's what a leader is supposed to do. If you've been gifted with the gift of leadership, understand it's not about being able to rule over others. It's not about being able to make the decisions. It's not about being seen. It's about giving others the opportunity to connect their gifts and talents for the kingdom of God in their local church. No matter what your gifting, your passion, there's a place for you in ministry here because you are gifted to fit in. Just remember at the intersection of gifting and passion is where you will find your ministry. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the endurance of this crowd this morning, Lord. Went a little long, and I'm so thankful that they were so attentive. <clears throat> God, this is where rubber meets road when it comes to serving you, where we get involved with gifting, where we get involved with what you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that you've given us something to think about, something to connect with. And I pray for those of us who are struggling with our gifts and struggling where we fit in. God, maybe this gave some clarity or some direction. For those who are seeking and searching about this, God, would you lead them to an individual who can help them refine this call? And God, would you bless us all? Bless this church. God, continue to use and grow us for your kingdom. As we go from this place, may we go forward as worshipers of you, living our lives and serving in such a way that we honor you in all things. We pray that you'll be glorified, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.